the military, thank you for your service to our country. Uh, that wasn't the main intention of, of showing this. There, there's something in this, all these scenes that uh, captures something that's in every person's heart who's in this room, every person's heart who's ever lived. And you could see it on their faces as they would see their father, their husband, uh, and, or the brother, or son, you know, child. They would, uh, this, this cry in their heart uh, to be just to be reconnected, to belong, to, to, re, to recapture that sense of belonging, that's just in every one of our hearts. And, you know, sometimes it gets stuffed down really, really deep, and we, we forget it. And uh, especially when we don't experience it, we, we find, you know, all kinds of what we hope are substitutes. But this, this cry of our heart is something that we, that's meant to be satisfied. It's normal. But it's, it's, the sad truth is it's something that's really rare. Now, you may see all those uh, joyful reunions, but the truth is, even with the, the loved ones that we have, you know, <clears throat> some of those folks, unfortunately, if you followed them around, you know, a year later, they wouldn't be quite so joyful. Uh, someone might be divorced. There, there could be alienation, all kinds of things. Because as human beings... Uh, we just lived in this. We live in this fallen, flawed world, and it, it, you know, it bleeds into our relationships and messes them up. And this, I believe that God wants us to have primarily and the root of belonging in our lives to be with Him, and then He, he wants that to bleed over into the rest of our lives and and become the source of belonging for every area of our life, the the, the foundation of all of our relationships and. One of, the, one of the thoughts I had when we were talking about this, doing this series of I Believe in God But was a, a fact, I think, of, of, of life is, I've had many people tell me this, I believe in God, but how come I feel like I'm on my own? If I believe in God, and I'm, I'm a child of God, why do I feel so alone or so alienated to a degree that seems like there's something wrong with this experience I'm having. And I want to read a passage to you. We're going to re- look at two, two little texts today and, and try to draw out of them something that speaks to this cry in our heart to belong. In Romans chapter 8, Paul's writing and he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption or the spirit that, that makes you feel like you belong to God. And by him, by this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And, and, and Abba, there is an Aramaic word that means daddy. And father is the Greek word pater. And so he's saying, this is the spirit. By the work of this spirit, the spirit of God, we can experience this cry in our heart that you saw in those children when they saw their father. You heard little girls scream, Daddy! And they run and just, boom, hugged them. They had this deep sense of, I belong to this daddy. Now, another soldier might have walked in the room or whatever, and they would have felt something because their dad's a soldier. But they wouldn't have felt that same 
sense of, of sonship or daughtership. And he says, the Spirit himself testifies. Oh, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, with something deep inside us, that we are God's children. And so Paul's describing something, as you read this, that they'd experienced. And so what he's saying is that he used this word adoption. And adoption is something that describes the experience of someone who's had a change of status. They've gone from not having a family that they belong to, to being adopted into a family and being a full member of it. So Paul's saying, once you lived an existence that was defined by being alienated from God, by not feeling connected to God, by not having this sense of being loved deeply by God... Like when we sang that song earlier, uh, He loves us, oh how He loves us. I know that's a moving song. It's not a moving song just because it's, a, it's got pretty ideas in it and it's, it's uh, you know, uh, wisely crafted to move your heartstrings. It is a moving song because it describes something about reality that our hearts long for. And yet we don't experience it that much. And, and Paul's describing to them something they'd experienced as a reality. And see, our relationship with God is meant to be an experienced reality. It's just not a set of, of beliefs that you hold on to in your head. Like the same beliefs that help you to know how to change a tire. We tend to think of a relationship with God or faith as something like that, right? You just get a new set of beliefs about God. You used to have this set of, you didn't believe in God, or you believed in this kind of God, or this kind of religion. That's not what it's about at all. And what I want to give you today is something that, is, that I hope will completely revolutionize the way you look at your faith in God and in following Jesus. And whatever that meant to you before, I want, you to, I want to give you another picture that you can hang your faith on that's, that's probably different than maybe what you've been exposed to before. Now, if, if this sense of, of being adopted and being deeply loved by God is really the will of God for us, I just, just, just in a show of honesty, how many of you feel like that's something... I, I experience to some regular degree in my life. If you raise your hand, if you feel that. I, I appreciate your honesty. My question is, if you on a regular basis, or maybe let's just say once, let's just, let's just put the cookies on the lowest jar, on the lowest uh, shelf, thank you, in, in a jar with the widest mouth on the lowest shelf, so you can get your little arm in there. What? Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt deeply loved by God as a child of God? Okay, good. We've got a lot of you into that door. Now, how many of you feel that regularly? Okay, now look around the room. There's not as many hands up. But it's cool that so many of you have experienced it at least once. And maybe you wondered... You know, how do, how do I leave breadcrumbs so I can get back there again, right? You're meant to get back there again over and over and over. That's meant to be where you live. 
It's not meant to be something that you remember happened once, you know, a long time ago. Uh, like the time you came back to your car in the parking lot and someone had backed into it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know who it was, but boy, there was a dent in my car. And I experienced the love of God in my heart one day, a long time ago. It's, you know, like it was a mystery. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a result of this change in status you've experienced when you get adopted into God's family. And in this passage, Paul says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. He was talking about your, you, you, you lived a life that was characterized by fear and alienation and frustration, even because he's writing to people in Rome, and Rome was a very rich, prosperous city. He was probably writing to people who, who, in many ways, had all the comforts of life. But they still lived in, in fear and alienation uh, as, as a, a large part of their life. And they were constantly trying to find a way to end that. And they heard the gospel, and that was what opened the door for them to find what it meant to be adopted into God's family. Now, I want to read another passage to you that, that's, that touches on the same idea of adoption and childhood, but it's, it's a little more challenging. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, Jesus was asked a question. I think it's Matthew 18, 2 and 3. Yeah. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this was his answer. He called a little child. Now, a little child was uh, either from... A, it could describe a newborn infant up to like two, three, four-year-old child. So just imagine your mind. Jesus takes a little child, maybe two, three-year-old, like our, our grandson Landon, and, and he puts him on his leg or picks him up, and here's what he said. I tell you the truth. As they're all wondering, what is this whole kingdom of God thing about? How do you see it? How do you enter into it? How do you become great in it? As... <clears throat> I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter, you'll never see, you'll never experience the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was, to use it in the terms that we've introduced, it was to be part of God's family. You'll never feel like you're a part of God's family. You'll never feel all the benefit of being a child of God unless you become like a child. And so you may go, that, that doesn't sound like, it, it doesn't compute to me. Well, what he's saying is, the invitation of the gospel is to become a little child again. To become a little child. Just like in this room, there's, there's little children sitting in people's laps, and there's a bunch of them just on the other side of that wall. And uh, the gospel tells us three things. Jesus is, is just, he repeated the gospel and restated it in, in many different ways. But the gospel tells us three things. That God came in the world in His Son, Jesus. He became a child. Lived the same life we live, but lived it perfectly. He came in to rescue us from our, the trap we were in of living selfishly, sinfully, and in a self-reliant way, disconnected from God. And then Jesus said, and the gospel says, we can only enter into this new life that Jesus lived, a completely unique life, 
by faith in him. He's the model of that life, but he's the only way into that life. So he showed us what that childlike life was like. I mean, you, it's, it's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas is that God, the God who made everything, took on flesh and blood, but not just flesh and blood. He became a completely helpless infant, was completely dependent on two adults, two of his creation. The creator became dependent in some mysterious way, in some marvelous way on his creation. He made himself vulnerable as the way for that creation to be rescued, but also to the way that, that real life was supposed to be lived. Because we're fish and we don't know we're wet. We're so corrupted by sin and selfishness and, and the way that we're all used to living. We don't, it's hard for us to realize what different, what's different than that. And Jesus came into our world... God came into the world he created in his son to make a way for us to be rescued from the power of the world that we live in. And then third, the promise of the gospel is when we believe in Jesus, when we accept him as the model and the way to live that life, the only way to find that family life with God again, to be a child of God again, he gives us his spirit to give us that sense of belonging. And back to that Romans passage, scholars say that word cry there is this deep, oh, daddy kind of cry that isn't something that you muster up in hopes that it's true. It's something that the Spirit of God confirms in your heart that, yeah, you are a child of God. You are beloved of God, just like each of those kids that you saw, run towards their dad and say, Daddy, I missed you. That moment of just reconnection, that is what we're supposed to experience with God, our Father. And we experience it through faith in His Son, Jesus. But the, the key thing is, and this is, the, this is the key question, is if you've, you know you've believed in Jesus, and you know you've received the spirit of Jesus. And maybe there's a time in your life, like many of you said, I've experienced, experienced, I've experienced feeling loved by God, deeply loved by God, being forgiven of my sins, being belonging to the family of God, being adopted into the family of God. I've experienced that spirit of adoption way back when. Why don't I experience it on a more consistent basis? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what the, the, the point I want to get to. I want you to take this home. To become childlike is to become vulnerable. It's to become totally dependent on God. It's to depend on God, not on yourself. It doesn't, it doesn't absolve you of, of human responsibility for certain things because God calls you to certain things. But faith is a way of life. It's not just something you do once, or it's not just something you believe about facts. It's an active way of living where you trust God. You put your complete trust in Him through faith in His Son, Jesus. That you can come to know God and experience Him. He can become real to you through this man, Christ Jesus. And only through this man, Christ Jesus. Well, the degree that we embrace vulnerability 
is the, it is the key factor in us experiencing a sense of belonging with God. Because Jesus says you can't see this mysterious kingdom unless you become like a child. And the essence of childlikeness is vulnerability and complete dependence on God, openness, honesty, transparency, vulnerability. All those things that we, are, we make so much effort not to do. Now, let's do a vulnerability experiment. I know you're all waiting for this. This, I've seen this happen many times in our church. I, uh, the first time I became a, a really aware of this in a fresh way was years ago. We had a new staff member, a, 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 a part-time administrative person. And her and her husband had come to the church for like two years. But he had moved here first uh, from the south. And he got a job. Uh, he was in an apartment. And he bought the house. And she was you know, bringing the kids up, but they had to sell the house. And so she was there for several months. Well, he really clicked in our church. He went to a bunch of churches, uh, loved the vineyard. And they've since got transferred to back down to the south. But uh, she came to the church the first time and, uh, you know, seemed to fit in. And she was around for about a year and a half and applied for the job we posted. And she became part of the staff. I remember one day she came in. She said, John, I I I think I have to kind of confess something to you. When people say that, I'm thinking, uh-oh, you know, what, what, what's, what's next? She goes, when I first came to the vineyard, I really didn't like it. And I only stayed here because my husband told me he wasn't going to go anywhere else. And I really wanted to go to church. I really wanted to get my, my kids to be exposed to the gospel because I was raised in church. But the churches that we were raised in were way more traditional, and they were less demonstrative. And, that, and we're not a wildly demonstrative church, uh, but... but from her background, we were like raving Pentecostal lunatics. <laughs> and she said, one day, uh, she just, the, she said, I loved the singing here. It was so much, you know, more heartfelt or something. It just connected me the way that all my traditional churches hadn't. And she said, one day, I just was sitting there, and she always just kind of, you know, uh, sat or stood and really didn't participate in what was going on. And, and she said, one day, I just felt myself, I saw people lifting their hands up. She said, that was the, that was the, the threshold of craziness to me. She said, I was willing to do a little of this, and I was willing to sing, but she said, I wasn't going to lift my hands if it, if I had to, if it took, saved my life. So she said, one day, I just was moved. And she said, I don't even know why, I just lifted my hands. And she said, this, it was like someone poured like a bucket of love over me. Literally, I felt like something pour over me, and I started feeling loved by God like I believed. I, I believed my whole life. I experienced it, and she said, I just cried and cried and cried, and I just was waving my hands. Oh, I love you. I love you. She said, and I didn't even... For like 10 minutes, I wasn't even thinking about who might be looking at me. Because that's the way we tend to live, as we're very self-conscious, right? But did you notice in those videos, as those children ran to their fathers and hugged them, 
Not one of them looked at the camera, which was right in their face, right? They didn't go, oh, um, I'm awkward. They were so wrapped in that moment of being loved, they lost that self-consciousness. Now, there is some, this, this is like, you know how they say that, uh, that pot is a gateway drug? You know where I'm going, haven't you? Lifting your hands. <laughs> Lifting your hand. I could have found a better analogy, I know. <laughs> Lifting your hands is for those of you that are painfully self-conscious, is one of those thresholds of vulnerability that I just encourage you to consider. But what I want you to do, just for a minute, is I want everybody to stand up for a second. It's going to be easier to do without the music. I just want you, and, and now, you've got my permission not to do it, but I want to tell you, if you don't do this, you're going, to, you're going to miss something. Not bad. There's no brownie points. No one's judging you. I just mean something that I want you to get in touch with in your heart. You probably won't be able to unless you do this. So just, just hold your hands up like this. Now, imagine yourself if we were all singing. We're standing and singing and you lifted your hands like that. We're not right now. I want you to... I want you to just stop for a second as you're, as, this, as you're standing there with your hands raised. And keep one hand up and take one hand and just put it on your heart for a second. I want you to get in touch with any feeling you have right now. Just whatever feelings you might have. Because you probably have some emotions. It's, this, this is not necessarily comfortable for some of you. Just wait for a second. Try to get in touch with how you feel. Okay, now you can sit back down. Now, I'm not going to ask you to to say what you felt, but I want to tell you something. Vulnerability, vulnerability will oftentimes, when when you do something that makes you feel vulnerable, and, and... when do children do this? When they, they want to be held. It's a very natural gesture, isn't it, for children? And we've all been children. But somehow we've lost the sense of being children. And it's not because God doesn't love us like His children. But we fear being vulnerable. And oftentimes, when vulnerability, the opportunity for vulnerability to God presents itself, we instinctively begin to get in touch with some, something inside us that's not pleasant. It, it, it's something that we avoid feeling. And it's something that typically we wrestle with. When, when Adam and Eve, after they sinned, when God came into the garden, they hid from him. They were afraid. And God called them out of hiding. 
He called them to be vulnerable. He called them to accountability. He called them to face, you know, whatever it was that they didn't want to face. And this is what we have to understand is we have, all of us have experience in our life that, that comes from just being human. We feel shame, period. It's part of being human. But we also feel fear. And fear is a part of our sin. It's a part of feeling re- fear of rejection. It's a, it's, it's a complex thing, but it's something that all of us feel. And so here's the, here's the thing for you to keep in mind. Fear leads you to hiding. Hiding leads you to self-reliance. And self-reliance leads you to slavery. Because God's the source of everything we need in our life. And when we hide from Him by refusing to be vulnerable to Him, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you how this fits in the whole Christian life in just a second, but if we refuse to be vulnerable, we have to turn to ourselves, to our own self-reliance. And then when we turn to our own self-reliance, that's never adequate, and so we'll find other things to kind of hold on to. And then those things, to begin, they begin to control our lives. Anybody not experience that? Anybody ever, when you were younger, just discover that alcohol felt, alcohol felt helped you feel a little better? No. Never. <laughs> right? And and our moods are, are you know, we have a, a mood we, we can't handle, and so we learn how to control it. And we and we take something that helps us with that. And then it begins to take over. And then pretty soon, it, it takes over our life and begins to affect our life. And we try to manage it. But the truth is, we become a slave to those things. And God doesn't want it. That's why it says in that chapter back in Romans that, that the spirit is the spirit of freedom. That love is the only thing that frees us. And God's love is so undeserved. It is so not because we've performed the right way or done all the things that we should do it's graciously given to us through jesus when we when we surrender our lives to him when we ask him into our hearts and then we're adopted not because we've been good people but because we need him he he knows we need him he sent jesus because we need him and so i want to ask you when you were getting in touch with any feeling maybe you know, maybe when you had your hands lifted up, all you could think about was what you're doing after church. <laughs> you couldn't get that up. But maybe you did get in touch with some feeling inside. How do you hide from that? What ways do you hide from that feeling? Because that's there. Do you understand that this, lifting your hands up, didn't create the feeling. It just exposed it. It just exposed it. And I'll tell you something. Fear, when it... Fear is a primal emotion that's only cast out by love. Fear comes from not experiencing love the way we're meant to. And love is the only thing that cures it. It's the only thing that cures it. And it it is the cure. It is the cure. 
But we need it over and over and over because our fear is so deep and it so controls our actions, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You're too quiet. I I wish I would have put in here, tell another joke right here to break up the tension. No, I don't want to break up the tension. I, I want you to live in more honesty and integrity and recognize when that stuff's going on inside you what you're really looking for. You're looking for love. And in God's love, we have the inexhaustible supply of it that's perfect. Because you're sitting here, and many of us don't know each other's names, even though we don't have a big church. You know, 200 people come here. God knows your name. He knows your name. He knows, as Jesus said, how many hairs are on your head. Or as you get older, on your back. He's going, he only had 26,000 yesterday. He's got 27,000 now. What is going on? He knows you that intimately. He gets you. He gets you in a way nobody gets you. He gets you in a way that you want people to get you. But here's the thing. What stands between us and him is our sin. Our stubborn self-reliance, selfishness, that when we come into this world, like uh, there was a radio preacher used to say, when I was born, seven pounds of sin came in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And it it doesn't mean we're evil. It just means that we come into this world with this disposition this, with, with the, the dignity of God and the beauty and the uniqueness of each of us, we come in with this disposition to pull away from God and to go our own way. Because everybody who, in, in, from whose life we came, for as many generations as you can imagine, lived that way. And just like we got blonde hair, you know, physical characteristics, we got something from them, an inheritance that we're born into. And Jesus came into that, but he lived this perfect life like none of us has. And if we put our trust in him, he rescues us. He modeled this life of childlike vulnerability and dependence on God. He was God in the flesh, but he, he didn't depend on his power and deity and his abilities. He depended on his father. And he showed us this life can be lived if we trust him. And then he will come and live inside us. But we have to completely depend on him. We have to completely put our trust in him. We can't hedge our bets and go, well, I'm going to take a little of Jesus and a a little of, you know, self-improvement. Because I think I can do a, a pretty good job. I just need Jesus to help me, you know, every so often. No, you're completely deceived if you think that's how it works. You need Jesus 20 Four, seven. And he gives you his spirit. Jesus who died on the cross, like we see in, in churches like ours, you see crosses all over the place. It's a symbol of the way to life, but it's a symbol of death. Because we can't find that life until we lay down our lives and say, Jesus, no bargains, no bargaining, I surrender. You gave up your life for me because that's the only way that I could escape the life that I've 
I'm trapped in, and I'm going to give my life to you. And, and I believe that if I do, if I let go, that, that you will turn my life around. We have to, that's, that's the way it starts. That's the only way it starts. The whole Christian life is vulnerability. Just think about it. The whole Christian life is vulnerability. It's becoming like a child. When we, we even use the term be born again as, as the threshold experience of, of faith. And what does it mean to be born again? It means to become like a child again. Prayer is vulnerability, isn't it? And a lot of times that's why we don't pray. Because it makes us feel, it's so frustrating. Because you think it's supposed to happen right there. I'm not willing to stay in a place of vulnerability before God and just keep waiting on Him and looking to Him. But that's what prayer is. And to some people it looks fruitless. It looks foolish. Because they haven't embraced becoming like a child as a way of life. Letting this, the, the truth of God that's in this book instruct you is childlike vulnerability. Being a part of Christian community is vulnerability. Giving is vulnerability. I mean, there, all the spiritual disciplines that you hear us teach on, the disciplines of engagement, the disciplines of abstinence, confessing our sins, all these things that we do as Christians, they're all about vulnerability to God. You see that? You, some of you look at them as, these are rules I have to follow. But you understand, you don't get it if you don't get, you have to see we're called to this whole new way of life that only Jesus has ever lived. And if we follow him, we can enter into that life. He had the courage to do it. We don't. His grace can come in us if we let him. And he can produce out of us, like, like the, the saying, there was a song years ago we used to sing when I first became a Christian, something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. That's the story of once I was blind, now I see. The song has been written describing it this way and that way, but it says the same thing. But it, it calls us to a, a radical vulnerability. A radical vulnerability. And if you're, it, it isn't something, we don't overcome everything in our life all at once. That, that isn't part of the gospel sales pitch. We're invited into this life where we learn to follow Jesus and his way of life which is a way of childlikeness and vulnerability and obedience to God and love for people. Because, I mean, is there anything more vulnerable than to love people? Is there anything more vulnerable than that? Well, loving God. Loving people, that is vulnerable. That's hard. That's why we don't do it. See, see it in this light. See it this way. See it this way. When God asks you not to do certain things, he's saying, because that will take you away from vulnerability. That will, that will lead you down a road that will destroy you. It will lead you away from me. So we look, there are rules in the Christian life, but you can't see them, that that's the essence of the Christian life. They're connected to this thing of becoming like a child and living a life of vulnerability. So, uh, 
Let's see, Bob, where are you? Oh, Bob's out there somewhere. Bob Stoss, come on up. We're just going to close with some prayer. And I want to ask you to, if, if this cry for belonging is in your heart, that, that you want to connect with God that way more consistently, God's given us the provision. If we believe in Jesus, He's sent the Holy Spirit in your life, and He says, you can experience that love consistently, even daily, in ways that each day you need it. But you can't experience it without being vulnerable. And so following Jesus is the way you walk out a life of vulnerability. Can you, can you see it now, the Christian life, in a different framework? Does it look any different? And this is not, I'm not, you know, this isn't like heresy 101, okay? Like, John, where are you taking this? This doesn't sound like what I've normally heard in church before. They're always telling me how to live a good life in church. I go, I'm sure they're telling you this too. I'm just saying it, it is in a way that I hope you get. Forgiving people is vulnerability. All the stuff that, that Jesus did was about becoming like a child and living a life of vulnerability. And, it's, and, it, and, it, and as, we, as we enter into that way of life, the spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of... That, that when he moves in our life, we cry out, Daddy! Just like those kids did in, in the video we saw that sense of I'm loved by God and I need that love so much. This is the way to it. And it's the only way. You understand? Some of you are going to go out here and go, I'm going to get God's love by just being the best person I can be. Well, that's not a bad ambition in your life. It really isn't. Some of you could work on that. (laughs) Frankly, I'm your pastor. I'm just just telling you the truth here. But you're not going to get there the way you want to. And that's a good ambition. You won't get there unless you're loved.